Hello, lovely listeners. This is Alessandra McLaughlin, the Patron Services Manager at NCTC. When I'm not making sure your ticketing needs, be they digital or physical, uh, are, need to be taken care of, I'm a freelance director and arts administrator and get to do really, really cool stuff like this. Today, we have an extra episode coming at you where I get to sit down with one of the talented and exceptional writers of In Good Company. And today's guest is the writer of episode four, Jewel Gomez. Hi, Jewel. Hi, Alessandro. This is it's great. Good to, this is great. It's good to see. Uh, you guys can't see, but I can see her face, and I haven't seen Jewel in months, so I'm very excited. Uh, Jewel, <laughs> Jewel is the author of The Gilda Stories, which was her lesbian vampire novel. Uh, Jewel's also been commissioned by NCTC to write lots of works, including Waiting for Giovanni and Leaving the Blues, and her latest, which is currently in the works, Unpacking in P-Town. These are a part of her trilogy, Words and Music. But... Jewel, when she's not doing all these fabulous writing things, is also a major activist, which includes but is not limited to her contributions to one of the first weekly black television shows, which was in my home state of Massachusetts. Uh, so I was happy to see that. Uh, and she was a founding board member of GLAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Uh, that is Jewel's accolades, and we are excited to have her. And I'm going to get us kicked off, Jewel. What was it like? Because obviously you've written novels, you've written plays, and you've written for television. What was it like to move into a completely audio format? Well, I'll tell you, it was moving into an audio format was so different. But it's a it's a it's a it's a rhythm. Once you focus on it, you know, and you kind of close your eyes and you think, how does this sound? And what sounds do I need to go with it to make it work? And that was fun. That was fun. It was almost like switching uh, from fiction to poetry. You know, because yeah. poetry is all about those spaces in between. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed doing it. It was, it was quite the experience. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But now you really had to sit with it and be like, what is it going to sound like? How much did sound play a part of what you were writing? Well, I'm the type of playwright, I I give too many instructions and directions. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm always imagining how it's going to look. So, you know, let's have that palm tree a half an inch from the chair on the porch. That kind of thing. And the director <laughs> looks at me and goes, Really? <laughs> That's so, very specific. <laughs> yeah, really. And um, so doing this, I tried to be very specific in what I thought the sounds would be like. Um, and then, of course, the other writers had ideas and Ed had ideas. So it really amplified uh, everything. So that was that was really lucky because it takes a while to get used to thinking about sound. You know? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another question I have that I think will interest our audience is all of the writers and you got, you know, you as a collective were writing about a, moments that are still happening. You know, I often find that it's hard to process moments that are still happening. Like if I look at a play that I want to direct and I go, oh, this is, you know, I want to direct this because of this thing that happened in my life. And I go, mm, I haven't really moved past that moment enough that I feel like I would be opening a fresh wound. I'll put it away. But with this, you guys are responding to the moments as they were happening and as they were coming. What was that like for you as a writer? 
It was very difficult to respond to the immediate happenings. When I was younger, uh, when I first, I used to be stage manager many, many years ago, and but I wanted to be a playwright. And I told myself, I'll wait until I'm really older and become a playwright, because then I thought I'd have the right perspective. Um, so I knew even then that it's difficult to write about things that are happening uh, right now. And so it was, it was painful in some ways because we were scratching at wounds that weren't healed. Yeah. You know, sort of what you were saying. Um, so it felt a little bit uh, difficult. And I think it, was, it made it harder to be funny. You know, yeah. I like to write funny. Mm-hmm. All of my plays uh, have a, a high sense of humor in them. But it was hard to write funny when you're thinking about the coronavirus and how it was still killing people. And then thinking about George Floyd and, and the demonstrations that were happening. Uh, so it made it difficult to be amusing, which is kind of my specialty. Right. So you had to sort of step back from that, step out of your own comfort zone. Yeah. 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 That's gotta be, that's gotta be difficult. What was, you know, I find that some of my best work comes when I try to step out of my comfort zone, but that difficulty of not having your, your things that make you you there is difficult. What was that like in this situation, especially because you're also writing for a podcast. That's a whole new, <laughs> new thing. So you don't even have the comfort of a stage. <laughs> right. And for me, stepping out of my zone, I couldn't tell if it worked. You know, I mean, <laughs> you always need another eye to tell you. But even then, I was like, oh, God, what does it sound like? Fortunately, I had the other writers were really, you know, great with feedback and stuff. And then the good fortune of I got the episode with the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Perfect. I'm so excited. I've been like waiting to ask you about that. What made the parrot spout out Tennessee Williams quotes? I was reading it and listening to it and just laughing to myself. I was like, this is so great. <laughs> it was fun, you know, and I don't think I was even the person who thought of parrot. Somebody said, well, <laughs> she's, she's all alone. She's in her house. Let's, she's got to talk to someone. So I think somebody else thought of the parrot. And then once I started working on that episode, and I know parrots really only spout out what they heard. It's not like they're having a real conversation, even though they can fool you. And I thought, you know, Tennessee Williams is one of my favorites. Um, he's so over the top. He is so gay. He is, he is such a poet. Um, so I thought, okay. I think I'll just give him Tennessee Williams lines. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. And it did fit so well. I was like, this is so perfect for this parent. Like this feels, especially for a theater person, like for a theater person to have a parent that spits out Tennessee Williams quotes. Exactly. Exactly. And then of course that led us to think, well, what's the parent's name? And one of the other writers said, let's call him Brick. Like, uh, you know, cat on Uh, the roof. Yeah. And so there he uh, there he was with his own name and his own lines. That was one of my favorite things to do. I think that's awesome. And I think it was one of my favorite things to listen to because it was just so funny. And I noticed in your episode too, what really hit me was we have Javier and Kaiser and CJ and Lola having this conversation about housing and, you know, financial burdens and things like that. What was, was the mirroring of those conversations intentional? What, you know, what brought about 
the conversation other than the overarching thing that this is what people are going through right now? Well, one of the great things we did at the beginning was kind of map out all of the episodes and what needed to happen in them. And I, I was lucky because those two situations uh, looking for a home were in my episode. And I realized, of course, they were connected. You know, here were three queer people uh, trying to figure out what to do with themselves and that Javier would end up with the most difficult playwright in the world yeah. <laughs> after a bad breakup seemed uh, a cruel joke. On the other hand, it gave us a chance to get to know Kaiser and see Kaiser evolved. And that seemed wonderful. And then to have CJ find themselves alone, you know, kind of kicked out of their place because of the roommate's discomfort and CJ figuring out, I'll make my home the theater. I just found that uh, so touching. And I was really happy that we could have them in the same episode. It gave, uh, it gave a sense to me of how we can take care of each other. You know, the air makes helps, even though, you know, he's a pain in the ass and Javier, for, Javier forgives him and kind of gets him moved along in his development as a person. And CJ figures out how to to be in a space that's not theirs and really gives Lola an opportunity to reach out. And I thought, this is how we take care of each other as queer people. Right. And, you know, of course, we've seen Lola care so much about her theater family in, you know, being mirrored by that let's go of her own family life. Uh, But I think it's so interesting. You captured that idea that for us theater artists, the theater is our home and will always be our home. And there's something about that safety net, even in this time, it, it, it just really struck me, especially as someone who has found, you know, you know, I come from a good home. I have a good relationship with my parents, but the theater has always been, my place to be me, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what you capture with that conversation. What was it like to write a character like Lola as we have this conversation, you know, the we see you uh, white American theater, we have now this figurehead, this artistic director, who's, you know, a gay black woman. What, you know, what was it like to write that for you? It was so gratifying. I have to tell you. I bet. I guarantee it was. Imagine. <laughs> Uh, a lesbian of color heading up a theater, I just thought, oh, yeah, I, I <laughs> love this. And, you know, because she gets to be tough, because she's got to be to run a theater, you get to see her family side and where she falls down with the family because she's so involved with the theater. But she kind of moves through that. And one of the, the, the scenes that I wrote with CJ was incredibly moving for me to write. Uh when she recognizes the different pieces from different shows that CJ has pulled in. You know, there's the spread from this show and there's the curtains from that show that CJ has used to make it homey. And you can feel that Lola senses a home in the theater as well. Uh, I really love that because to me, of course, as a playwright, um, 
home is the theater. When I walk through the doors of New Conservatory Theater, I feel like, ah, you know. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. It's, so, it's the sort of conversation a lot of gay people have about, you know, like queer spaces, like bars, queer yes. coffee shops, queer bookstores. It, that's exactly how I feel both at New Conservatory and just in theaters in general, because I feel like I can be me. And I think you really approach that so well with CJ saying, I'll stay here. This is, I can always call this home. You know? yeah. And how important for someone who, you know, has a space that is all theirs. Yeah, yeah. And it's so comfortable, they're not even afraid of the ghost of Charles Bush. Now that's being at home. <laughs> uh-huh. The ghost light's still there. It, 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 brings a, it brings a smile to my face to think that the yeah. ghost light was still yeah. there. How did you notice that your, your way of writing both gelled and maybe at times didn't gel, but you had to figure out how to make it work? Well, I think uh, Ed did a great job of kind of riding herd on all of us and keeping a, uh, a tone and a line through that could be consistent for, for each of us in, in our writing modes, kind of pulling us all back in. I think for me, the thing that was a little bit difficult was, as I said earlier, I tend to want to make things humorous. And I think that didn't necessarily go well with some other people's writing styles. Um, so we kind of rounded off the rough edges and, and made sure what their episodes were meant to accomplish did. Um, so that was the only thing where I felt like, oh, okay, that's, that's not what I do, but that's what they do. Let me see how I can help them do what they do. And Ed really made sure we were on the same track. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, especially with, I can imagine, in an episodic sort of landscape, you've got to stay, you know, things that are said in one episode are important for, it's a ripple effect. It's like a domino effect of things. Was that difficult to follow? Because with a play, it's a little bit different. It wasn't so difficult because we talked a lot. We really talked a lot before we wrote the episodes. And you know, it was kind of like I had this experience many years ago when I first started writing the Gilda stories, and I would read sections from the novel before it was published, and I said at one point, oh, and Gilda faints. And somebody in the audience said, Gilda wouldn't faint. She doesn't faint. She's a vampire. I said, oh, my God, you're right. I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's that keeping that kind of tone, remembering who your character is, remembering what their motivations are, what their personalities are. And we talked a lot about that before we went to our computers and started writing. So that was really helpful. You know, that was mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Did you find that it was nice to sort of be writing about people like you as well as people that you know, you know, people in your life, you've worked in a lot of theaters, you've seen yes. people like CJ, like Lola, you know, was that sort of comfort in this time? It was really wonderful because I love writing uh, backstage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, my last play was totally a backstage piece. So this was really wonderful because I think the family that people in theater create with each other and the dramas that we have to go through both external and internal are pretty major and very can be very exciting. So I loved being able to do that. I love being able to look at 
all of those people, young from the very young uh, actor who's, it's her first role to, you know, Constance, who's been doing this forever. So Mm -hmm. I love doing that. Yeah. And did it, did it sort of strike home in any of the ways, you know, obviously things have sort of slowed down. Theaters are, you know, not doing as many things right now. Did it sort of hit home on how you felt about what's going on? It definitely hit home that things were going slower. There was nowhere to to really go. And it reminded me of how much I miss live theater. It really did. And, you know, I that's exactly how I felt. I do that, you know, but I really do miss the sweat and the smell. Right. And the, and the physical being just something about share, you know, you're sharing with a larger audience now because of the podcast, but something about being in the room with people and experiencing together. I miss it like every day, you know? Yeah. You want to be, as they say, in the room where it happens. Exactly. Bam. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) And Jewel, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Alessandro. And I'll see you soon. I hope. I promise. I'll see you soon. I'm blowing (laughs) kisses. The audience can't see, but thank you for joining. And for the audience, thank you for joining Jewel and I today in this bonus episode for In Good Company, presented by New Conservatory Theater Center. We are San Francisco's premier nonprofit queer and allied theater. And you can learn more about us and donate at nctcsf.org. Donations at this time help us bring you content like this, as well as other stuff down the line, and help us with our operating costs and everything. So we really appreciate any money you can give at this time. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at New Conservatory Theater Center. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing your time with us.